This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Most Australians like to think of the Sydney 2000 Summer Olympics as the greatest Olympic Games ever. After all, that's what IOC President Juan Antonio Samaranch famously said at the closing ceremony. Everything went smoothly. Nothing went wrong. It was all perfect, wasn't it? Well, no, it wasn't. There was a mistake at the women's gymnastics. It ruined the whole competition, or at least the all-around competition, and to this day, no one seems to have cared too much about it. The gold medals were awarded, and the caravan moved on to Athens in 2004. But now, a new podcast is looking back at the whole sad story and is trying to let the sporting and Olympic world know what happened. Ari Saperstein is from Blind Landing. Ari, welcome to Overnight. Rod, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. If you read the Wikipedia entry on the women's all-around competition at the Sydney Olympic Games, you would never know that anything went wrong. Why is that, do you think? You know, Rod, that's a great question. And that is kind of what first prompted me to start looking at this story. You know, I would say a while ago at this point, about the better part of two years ago, I I just kind of just came across this story about this unprecedented mistake that happened at Sydney. And the first thing was I just, I could find so little reporting about it. I mean, really almost nothing since, um, since it first actually happened 20 years ago. And it is really one of the, the few questions I still can't wrap my head around because by all accounts and uh, according to Olympic historians I talk to, this is one of the biggest mistakes in Olympic history. And really, that's what prompted me to go out and try to tell this story. So that's why you became interested, because you're not a gymnastics fan, really, are you? Rod, I, I can't even begin to tell you just <laughs> how little I knew about the sport of gymnastics. I mean, I, I, I knew the name Simone Biles and Nadia Comaneci, and really, that, that was it. And then I... Um, I just became so fascinated with how this story seemed to be lost to time. And when I started calling up the gymnasts, the Olympians who were at this competition, who were affected by it, you know, just realizing that they wanted to talk and they wanted their story to be told, just to be heard. Um, you know, that was really compelling enough for me to, to say, this is something I want to try to want to try to help them tell. Now, you may not have been a gymnastics fan, but it's fair to say that America is, or at least some people in the United States are, as we saw at this year's Games with Simone Biles. The US is very interested in the women's all-around competition. Why is that? I mean, why are we interested in the Olympics? In theory, it's a competition that is pitting the best of the best against each other to elevate one person up on the highest podium on the highest pedestal. And, uh, and there's excitement around that. And, you know, as to why gymnastics has become the central focus, I imagine it's a couple reasons. I think first and foremost, it is just an unbelievable feat to watch. I mean, you see these gymnasts, so many of whom are, are teenagers or young people doing the most difficult feats imaginable. I mean, Rod, if you've ever tried to do uh, 
a backflip on a mm. trampoline. I mean, that that for just a lay person can be such a difficult feat. And to see them do double twisting, double backs on the floor, how can you not be in awe of it? And and it makes sense that it's the most watched Olympic sport when you're thinking about it through that lens. Part of that, though, surely is because NBC, the American network that has uh, broadcast the games for the last 30-odd years, they go all in on the all-around, don't they? NBC are big, big fans, just as they are in the Winter Olympics with the uh, women's figure skating, that the all-around, the gymnastics, that is the event that they care more about. Has that kind of shaped how America looks at it as well? Because America has been told so often by NBC that this is an important part of the Olympics. Because in Australia, we generally don't care about the gymnastics. We're far more interested in the swimming, (laughs) the rowing, you know, events that we win. (laughs) Well, I guess that's part of it, isn't it? That the U.S. has had a a dominant legacy going back, I believe, the past five uh, Olympic all-around champions are all from America. And when you have a winning streak like that, right, like, you know, uh, the Australians do on the sports that you just mentioned, then you get invested. And in truth, I mean, the thing that the Olympics are about more than winning is this national identity, right? Um, We're also really invested in the team final. We're also really invested in track and field, you know, and like you're saying about, you know, Australians, Australia's telecast, uh, the the Olympics and the way that the media covers it leverages your sense of national pride or presumed sense of it. And that creates, you know, just an ongoing storyline and ongoing pressure, certainly on the athletes to keep fulfilling that. Um, Yeah, so I I think that's definitely a big part of of why we seem to be so invested. And that also makes me wonder again about why this story hasn't been told. Because if there's one way that the coverage of the Olympics has changed, maybe in the last 30 years, is that we need to know the stories of the athletes. In the old days, you'd switch on, someone you'd never heard of would win gold medal and they'd be a national hero after that. Now we need to know everything about them, everything about them, before they even start their event. And that's why I can't believe that this story hasn't been told. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that we like the positive stories, you know, we like to celebrate the winners. And I think that, I think that in a way too, the gymnasts moved on from this so quickly. Um, I mean, basically the whole American team, for the most part, a, a good number of them after these Olympics, which for the Americans at this Sydney Olympics, you know, they, they were coming off the 1996 gold medal winning team in Atlanta. That's a huge amount of pressure to follow up on. And when they didn't medal at these games at first, they just wanted to move on. They all went to college. They, you know, for the most part, stopped competing elite. And I think that says just, you know, a lot about how we treat stories of, of loss. Of course, Mm. sometimes, sometimes we tell them and sometimes we like to gawk at people's failures, but by and large, everybody wants to move on. Ari Sapastin is our guest. Blind Landing is the incredible podcast and it's i've got to say great listening it's it's very easy to listen to it's only uh, you know five or six episodes they're mostly about 25 30 minutes so it's not one of these really long ones you can listen to it all of it in a day really and get the full story so tell me what is the women's all-around competition for those who may have watched a bit of it at the the recent olympics because of course uh, simone biles made such a story there what is the all-around competition for those who may not know The Olympic all-around final 
you know, it's the event where gymnasts compete on all four apparatuses, balance beam, bars, floor, and vault, which is what so much of the podcast centers around, the gymnastics vault. That's the 80-foot runway that the gymnast runs down, and there's a springboard they jump onto, and a table that's four feet high that they push off of with their hands. And what happened in Sydney 20 years ago is that during this all-around final, the competition started off with Elise Ray, the top American, having the scariest fall of her life on vault. I mean, it really was a vault that could have been life or death for her. And after Elise fell during the competition, there were actually seven more gymnasts who fell. And just to put that into context, uh, me and my producers, we couldn't find any other example of another major competition, a world championships and Olympics, where that many people fell on vault during the all around. You know, what was happening was decidedly strange and out of the ordinary. And at first, no one could figure out what was happening. Who did figure out that something was wrong? Well, about halfway through the competition, Alana Slater, the then Australian national champion, she goes on vault and Alana is standing there at the end of the vault runway getting ready to go. And it just, it just looks off to her. Something looks wrong. And she says to her coach, I think the vault is at the wrong height. And 16-year-old Alana decides to basically hold up the Olympics, refusing to leave that competition floor until the officials check the height. And lo and behold, they find out that it's been set five centimeters too low. And people might think, well, five centimeters, that's not that much. In fact, if you have trained at a certain height, all of your plans are for a certain height, five centimeters is a major, major discrepancy, a huge difference. Absolutely. You know, five centimeters, that's that's the size of a chapstick, the size of a, a house key. You're right. That's a lay person that doesn't know gymnastics might think how much of an impact could that make. And in Blind Landing, we talked to a sports scientist that basically says, you know, if you have just this one, you know, one small adjustment like that, it has a huge ripple effect. He compared it to a, a, a baseball bat. You know, if you had it five centimeters off and where the area you were swinging, a line drive turns into a pop-up. And so for a gymnast like Elise, you know, she didn't get the push she needed off the table. And the reason her vault was so scary is uh, she got lost in the air and nearly landed on her head and neck. So that's the difference that five centimeters can make. Who made that mistake or why was the mistake made? You know, Rod... That is a great question. And in short, it was likely a technician. So, so basically the vault, it's like a stationary bike. It moves up and down and there's a different height for men and women. And at the Olympics, men and women alternate days on the same equipment. So for example, it'll be women's qualification on Saturday, men's team final on Sunday, women's team final on Monday, so on. So the vault is going up and down throughout the games. And when someone was resetting it for the women's all around, competition they put it literally like the stationary bike one notch which was five centimeters too low so you know to answer your question it, it probably came down to a te technician but these people that run the gymnastics events they're supposed to be checking this equipment constantly throughout the games and they either didn't check it or missed it and so one of the main questions we try to find an answer to in blind landing is was there an investigation? Not because of any belief of foul play, but because 
unless they try to understand what led to this mistake, well, what's to stop the same thing from happening in the future? But the thing is, that mistake wasn't made again, and it didn't seem to have been made before that. It was one time in the entire history of the Olympics. It was, it was. And I, that's a testament to, to how unprecedented this mistake was and how, you know, everyone I spoke with said they had literally never seen this happen before. Not, you know, uh, for a competition for five-year-olds at a local recreational gym, not in American collegiate gymnastics, you know, certainly not at the Olympic Games. And on the one hand, you can understand how it wouldn't occur to anyone that this would even be a possibility and why it wasn't until Alana went after 18 gymnasts that she realized something was wrong because for so many people it didn't cross their mind. But then on the other hand, there are officials who are supposed to go out with measuring sticks and constantly make sure the equipment's right for this exact kind of unprecedented situation. So you've called this one of the biggest mistakes in the history of the Olympics. How big a mistake was it? It affected, you know, a relatively few number of people at one event, at one Games. How bad was this mistake? I think in order to answer that question, you kind of have to, to wrap your head around, again, this ripple effect that the vault being set too low had. So the mistake was discovered halfway through the competition, right? The all-around competition, again, it's four events added up and gymnasts rotate in groups of four on each one of the events going throughout the competition. So by the time Alana Slater tells officials about the mistake, gymnasts who had fallen on vault earlier in the competition had already gone to bars and fell, had already gone to balance beam and fell. So of course the unknowable question is, would those falls have happened if the gymnast hadn't fallen on vault earlier. And we'll never know, but as the gymnast told me, as a sports psychologist told me, I mean, you can imagine falling at the Olympics and it being mathematically impossible to medal, that's devastating yeah. and that can really mess with your mental game. And so, you know, to answer your question, I think the biggest what if that people had around, you know, what would have been different is about this Russian gymnast, Svetlana Horkina, who was the front runner, who won qualifications by a huge margin because this is exactly what happened to her. She fell on vault and then fell on bars. So when the officials told people that their solution was to let them do vault again, well, someone like Horkina, she couldn't take back that mistake on bars. So it makes everyone feel essentially like there isn't a real winner in the end. And the people who could have medaled, I mean, winning an Olympic medal, that changes your life. It sets you up for life. Well, certainly so, in America, if you win the gold, in the women's all-around, you are the biggest female athletic star in America. I would actually say even more so uh, a country like Russia, where Svetlana was from, where the compensation that your country gives you yeah. is astronomical. And, you know, there are so many countries around the world that have financial perks that they give people for winning medals. You know, a little, uh, not a little, a huge stipend or apartments or cars for life and, uh and if you are coming from, you know, a, a family with few resources, as many gymnasts do, as many athletes do, that's huge. And so yeah. we get back to these five centimeters, right? Which this little tiny, tiny, tiny measurement that that could make the impact of whether or not that's what the rest of someone's life is like. That's the effect. Yeah. Why didn't they just start the whole thing over again and give everybody, you know, the level playing field? 
That's a great question. And I think on the surface, um, you might be inclined to think, wow, you know, in Olympic competition, there's so much planning that goes into this. How would you begin to reschedule it for another day? Well, in the Winter Olympics, it happens all the time. You get snowed out, there's bad weather, you just do it another day. And so on the surface, it certainly would have been possible, totally possible in theory, to hold this competition on another day. It really just came down to the decision that the competition organizers made in the moment. And I think one thing that that surprised me and I think really speaks to the maturity of these women who competed in the competition was they actually had some empathy and, and sympathy for the competition organizers, you know, saying, what do you do when you're presented with a situation that um, that's never, you know, never happened before? And they made a call in the moment to let people redo the vault, to not restart the competition, to not plan it for another day. And was it the right decision in hindsight? I've met one gymnast, at least, who says that they think it was. But also, everyone agrees that that's, that's a really hard position to be in with, you know, a million, a billion eyes on you mm -hmm. uh, to figure out what to do in that moment. So, so it's, you know, just hard and unfortunate that, uh, that this is, you know, kind of where, where that competition ended and, and just sad for the gymnasts. Yeah. In a way, you can't blame the International Olympic Committee. They might stage the games, but it's, in fact, the individual sports associations that conduct the competitions. What about the, you know, worldwide gymnastics governing body? What did they make of what happened? So they are called the International Gymnastics Federation, the, the FIG. And the FIG has really just spoken very little about this. You know, spokespeople came out afterwards and they did not really give an apology. They said, this is unfortunate. This is regrettable. They said, mistakes happen. They said they felt like it was a fair decision to only do the vault redo and not a competition redo. And when I tried reaching out to them, um, I got only uh, with, with myriad questions, as you can imagine, all these yeah. questions that you and I are bringing up in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I got basically a 20-year-old press release hmm. and no confirmation on whether or not they had done an investigation. And, you know, I'll just add to that the importance of doing it is not just for preventing it in the future, which, like you said, the odds that it would happen again are, are very low. And certainly now people are just much more hyper aware of checking equipment. But because none of the gymnasts I talked to had been contacted by the FIG. And I, I won't spoil uh, some of the things that happened later on in Blind Landing. Indeed. But some of the gymnasts had some pretty important stories to share. Yes. And in fact, this was not the only controversy in the women's gymnastics. <laughs> and again, people can listen to the podcast, which is called Blind Landing. Ari Sapistine is our guest from Blind Landing, and they can hear those controversies for themselves. There's a lot more than just not setting the vault at the right height. What about the podcast itself? How has that been received? Maybe not by the International Gymnastics Federation, but the gymnasts who have finally had their stories told, and then the wider sporting community. Well, that, that's a great question. I've been so just overwhelmed by how much people um, have responded to this show and, and, and that this story has resonated with them. I think the bravery and uh, of, of Alana speaking up, I think just giving these gymnasts the space and the platform to just 
be seen and be heard. Um, I think other people have have just felt like that's that's something that they can resonate with, even if it's not the Olympics that went awry and their story wasn't told. But just for anyone that felt like I wasn't given my due and I wasn't given the chance to speak my piece, you know, that's it's really resonated with listeners. But I will say beyond uh, any of the responses we've gotten, really to hear from the gymnasts like Alana and like Elise and like Maria Laru, um, who we talked to later on in the series, to hear just how happy they are with the way that they're portrayed and about having their story told and people reaching out to them. Um, you know, that's that's really been the best part of making this show, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. The podcast will have one more episode. What else can people expect to hear about this? Yeah, right now we're working on a follow-up to the series, uh, a special episode that's going to be about what's happened since Sydney. What is the current state of safety in gymnastics? And we'll be talking with some people who just competed at Tokyo and who share that maybe, mm-hmm. maybe there are actually still some areas of improvement for gymnastics at this moment in time. So well, yeah. keep your eye out for that. So there's a couple of other little PSs to the story. One is at Tokyo, at the triathlon, we saw another horrendous mistake when a boat with cameras on it, I presume, filming the start, <laughs> was in front of half the field. Half the competitors in that field I mean. dived into the water <laughs> and had a huge boat in front of them. Now, that's almost as big a disaster as what happened in the gymnastics. That was that was remarkable. I mean, inexplicable. Again, it just just how in the world would someone, the person who's pressing the start button, who's firing yeah. the horn for the competitors to start, not see that. But then again, right? The difference is, for the most part, that they fully then restarted. The gymnasts swim back. They gave them a couple minutes to catch their breath, and then they go again. So at least that one, they were able to catch immediately. Mm. But my gosh, that was that was really a sight to see, wasn't it? <laughs> also at the Tokyo Olympics, we saw the story of Simone Biles, who was the reigning mm-hmm. gold medalist in the women's all around, and the pressure. And I would have to say the pressure that people or that organisations like NBC put on somebody like Simone Biles. Now, she put a lot of pressure on herself. She had the letters GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, sewn onto her leotard. So she, we know how she feels about her ability, but boy, they built her up. Every day there was a story about Simone Biles. How is she going to go in defending her gold medal? And in the end, she didn't. She pulled out because, well, for mental health issues, that may have been one of the reasons, she just wasn't up to it on the day. It's a sad story. There is a, another story to be told in another podcast about what happened at the Tokyo Olympics and the women's all around. I think that Simone having the twisties, which is when you have a mind-body disconnect and your brain wants to do a certain number of twists, but your body doesn't, um, which is what Simone was afflicted by and why she decided to pull out of a number of events. You know, I think the thing that people are going to remember about her decision to pull out is just how amazing it was to see an athlete prioritize their safety Mm. over winning and to say that there's something more important than winning. She was already a gold medalist, though. That's the thing. I wonder if it would have happened had she not won four years ago or five years ago. You know, it's a great question. I I wonder um, if it were a gymnast who 
who wasn't Simone, who, mm. you know, had, hasn't had so much experience having to advocate for herself, having to speak so publicly all the time. Um, obviously, Simone has been uh, uh, really the most uh, vocal and really the only currently competing elite gymnast who's, um, who's come out about mm. being a survivor from the USA Gymnastics Abuse Scandal. And, and so she has had, had to exercise her voice and her power for many years. But you're right. I mean, say, uh, say a 16-year-old gymnast who's, you know, just qualified, uh, you know, first to Olympics. be age eligible, yep. first Olympics, you know, and they find themselves happening, this happening to them, they're in the team competition where their teammates are relying yep. on them. Would they feel as comfortable as Simone did to speak out? And I don't know. And if not, what does that say about the sport and the culture of the sport? And the final PS to this whole story about what happened at Sydney 2000 was that it took place at a, a large arena known as the Sydney Superdome. And what are they using that for these days? As a mass vaccination site for the COVID-19 virus so that people can get vaccinated. So that's what's happened in the 21 years since the Sydney Olympics. And that anniversary is coming up very soon. So for your listeners who are getting vaccinated and going to the Superdome, you can look around and you can kind of picture the events in Blind Landing playing out around you. Ari, it's a fantastic story, brilliantly told, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Rod. Really appreciate it. Overnights with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio.